Hi, this is Pastor Josh with Trademark Church. The mission of our church is to connect the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. We hope and pray that as you listen to this podcast, it will help you take your next steps in following Jesus. Well, good morning. You guys ready to do this? Don't sound too convinced. All right, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If you have a Bible, grab it, turn to Titus. If you were with us last week, you know that we're in a series uh, reminding ourselves of our mission as a church, which is not my mission, but it's our mission as a church, connecting the gospel to people, people to community, and community to mission. And so we are excited about appointing some new elders uh, at our members meeting, as long with some new deacons, and actually creating a team uh, to push this mission mission forward. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'm just one of the members of this team, uh, even though sometimes we get blamed because we started this mess. Um, But anyway, um, this book, Titus, has been a comfort to me over the years as it is written to a young church planner, reminding him the point, what is he doing, reminding him of the gospel, reminding him of the community, of the mission, helping him understand how to instruct people and rebuke people and raise up other leaders. And so I thought it was fitting as we go into the fall to take a few weeks looking at the gospel community and mission through the lens of Titus. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that we did something very historical. We as a church, for the first time, read through a whole book of the Bible together on Sunday morning. You're like, that shouldn't be historical. Well, you think about it, right? It's often hard for you to give me that much attention that we can read through a whole book together, right? So the book of Titus, you've already looked. Now you're like, the whole book, oh my goodness, it's three chapters. Okay, it's three chapters. So this is what I want to do this morning. I want to read through this book together. I want you to be paying attention to the word of God. And maybe that's all you need is just to hear the word of God. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with the church, but the early church and the church around the world often just comes together and reads scripture. So I believe that God is going to speak to you as we read this. Then we're going to go back and unpack it a few ways and how it applies to this community. And then we're going to leave with a really clear application. So with your Bibles there, turn to Titus in chapter 1. Now, you know how I am. I like to... Uh, i like to see if you're paying attention, okay? So I might ask you some questions along the way to make sure we're doing this together. So before you read, uh, just put your hand on your Bible there if you're a believer or follower of Jesus, and let's pray together. God, I know that there's people here that are gathered from different walks of life, some here that are seeking faith or trying to see what it means to follow you. I pray that this word today would call them into the family, that they would see your great love for them and that they would experience your grace. God, I pray for this young believer that's here, the one who's trying to figure out what it means to follow you. I pray that this word would encourage him or her along their walk and that it would instruct them to walk in godliness, that they would receive grace. God, for those that are mature believers here that have been doing this for a while, we we know that we've committed to follow you. We've written a blank check and said we will follow whatever that means. And so would you fill in the blank today that we may follow you Holy Spirit, you are the good teacher, not me. Your word is alive, so speak to us this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, amen. Amen. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Let me stop right there real quick. As we read through this, you're going to hear the theme of godliness and good works and change and transformation in our lives. Paul wants to make sure that we understand that he's teaching God's elect, he's teaching God's people so that their life, as they understand the gospel, is linked with godliness. He says in verse 2, in hope of the eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. At the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of our God and Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Who wrote this letter? That was really weak. Let's read that again. Paul. Now, I mean, I'm saying let's do this, right? Paul, an apostle. Who do you write it to? Titus. All right. So now he's going to tell Titus why he left him there. So 
Paul is a church planter. He brings this young man, Titus. He develops him. He helps him plant this work in Titus, and he helps him plant it there in Crete, and he says, this is why I'm leaving you. Look in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains into order and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. Now, we're getting ready to look at what these elders look like. If anyone is above reproach, they're husband of one wife. Their children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer and an elder of God's, is God's steward. He must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, a drunkard or violent, greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Paul is, is explaining here that gospel men are supposed to lead this gospel work. Now, we talked about last week that in my mind, you can summarize an elder as a gospel what? So a lot of you weren't here, so maybe you, you get away from that. A lot of you weren't paying attention. I mean, I can just preach that sermon again. I got it right here. I can flip back. Come on, a gospel pinata, right? Right? I said, you beat this pinata and out comes the gospel, right? That's what, that's what elders, in my mind, are. They're gospel pinatas, right? Some of you are thinking about donkey and pinata. You're all, you're all gone here, okay? But the, the point is, is that no man is going to represent all of those things perfectly. But we're going to talk about next week as we appoint elders and deacons that, that these ought to be things that we're known for. Right? These ought to be things that these men are known for. So Paul says, I'm writing to Titus. Titus, this is why I left you. Put these men in order. Shape the church in this way. And then he goes on and says, there's going to be people that rebuke you. I mean, there's going to be people that contradict you. You need to rebuke them. There's going to be people in this church, there's going to be people in every church that push back on the gospel, and the elder's job is to rebuke them and call them. And so he goes here in verse 10, and he talks about a different kind of leader, a different kind of men that are in the same church. In verse 10, he says, but there are many who are there who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those from the circumcised party. These are people that said, it's Jesus plus something. Anytime, anytime anybody says the gospel is Jesus plus good works or it's Jesus plus the right kind of music or it's Jesus plus the right kind of family or it's Jesus plus homeschool, that's not the gospel, right? So these are empty talkers. These are people that are saying you can, you can follow Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. He says they must be silenced in verse 11 for they're upsetting the whole family. Their teaching is for shameful gain. They not ought to teach. One of the Cretans, a, a prophet of their own, says that these men are always liars. They're evil beasts. They're lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myth and commands of people who are turning away to other truths. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience, they are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Pretty strong words there. Pretty strong words there. As Paul says, there are men, there are women, there are people in your body that, that are adding to the gospel and trying to get people. The children aren't right above us, so you don't have to worry about that, okay? Um, someone just fell out of their chair working for BBBS, but Jake's going to check on them, so they're good, okay? He says, there's some people here that say they know God, but their life doesn't equal it. it they, they profess to know God, but they are disobedient and they're unfit for any good work. Now, in contrast to that, he says in chapter 2, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what links with sound doctrine. Take the gospel, the sound doctrine, and link it to these people. So we're seeing here that the gospel now shapes the community in which we live in. Everybody has a part here in this, in this passage. He says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled. 
pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the young men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Where are you in that passage? Are you the older man? You say, don't call me that. Well, are you older than somebody else here? Is there younger men here? Are you one of those younger men that just need to devote yourselves to live self-controlled? What about an older woman? Are you the younger woman? Now, don't get too lost in these things and be like, well, it says only women can work at home, right? We talked about that last week. That's not what he's saying. He's not giving an instruction for, for how you work and what you work. He's saying as older women and younger women and younger men and older men, you all have to live in a way that the sound doctrine actually links to your life in a way that changes you. And this, he's explaining this community. So we're going to come back to that. But, but there in verse 7, he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants. Some of your, your translations may, may read um, slaves. The point is that these are people that are working in the workplace, in the marketplace. He's not endorsing that slavery. He's saying those people who have bosses, be submissive to your master in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior. And then he explains this doctrine, he explains this gospel in one of the most clearest passages in the whole Bible. He says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. This grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. This grace teaches us to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus, declare these things, exhort these things, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. If you missed last week, we spent most of our time camping out there, learning the gospel together, talking about what the gospel is and what it's not. And today I'm going to give you a little quick review, but I want to keep going because the job of a pastor, the job of an elder is to keep reminding, keep putting in front of the people how the gospel actually creates community that forces us out to mission. Look there in verse three, I mean, chapter three, he says, remind them. Most of the time, guys, you, you already know everything you come and hear on a Sunday morning. You just need to be reminded, right? I mean, I'm not going to drop some bomb truth that, like, we drop the mic and walk away, right? I mean, it's, it's, the, the job here is to take the word of God and put it in front of you and remind you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid, avoid quarreling to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Why? Why do you show perfect courtesy towards all people? Because we once were those people. We once, in verse 3, were ourselves foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days with malice and, in and envy, hating by others and hating others. But God... But when the grace and the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us, not because of our good works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and the generation and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, he poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying, this gospel, what I just said, Paul saying, is a trustworthy statement. And I want you to insist these things so that those who believe them may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We're going to be spending a lot of time there today. As he's saying, if you believe this gospel, it demands good works. These things, in verse 8, are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, foolish controversies. There's no Jimmy Fallon fans in here. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Trying to see if you're still awake. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, divisions, and quarrels about the law, for these are unprofitable and worthless. For a person who stirs up division 
after warning him once and twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped by their own sinfulness and they're self-condemned. Now he's given us his final greeting here, and most of you don't know these men, and you're not familiar with these names. I have a hard time pronouncing them, but this is still the gospel. This is still important, and it still shows us about the community we're learning today. And when I send Artemis and Tychus to you to come to Nicopolis, sorry, that's not the way you say it, Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See to it that they, they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help the cause of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send their greeting to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Two weeks in a row, we made it through three chapters in reading the word. Now, I could just, I could just go right now. But I've been mulling over this word for the last week or two, trying to figure out again, once again, how can I put before you how this should shape our community? How this should shape our community. And when I'm talking about community, I'm talking about this community, this big church community, our our gospel communities, our house-to-house community, how you live in the the day-in and day-out community. And for most of us, we understand that communities, communities are defined by something. Right? Like this past week, I went on a rafting trip, and it was a multi-day trip down Hell's Canyon. Now, it was defined by men who, number one, were stupid enough to get a permit and get on a boat and float Hell's Canyon, okay? (laughs) But there was a certain thing you had to do to get in this community. You had to wear a life jacket because you were going to get thrown out of the boat at some point. You, you had to have a helmet because you were going to get thrown out of the boat at some point. You had to have an oar. You had to have a job. There was this community that was, that was defined around different men from different walks of life, some believers, some not yet believers, but there was this community that had a definition. So as we look at what it means to be a part of this community, the, the people of God together, we, we see that there are certain things that the world says you have to do to be a part of the community. So... This morning, I brought a little drawing, and if you've been around Trademark for more than 20 minutes, you've probably seen me use this to explain the gospel. Some of you really are impressed with my artistic skills. Um, this, This pillar here represents your identity. This structure here represents what it means to be a part of something. Your identity in Christ, your identity in community, whatever. But this this structure here also explains how all communities work. All communities come at it from this direction, saying that you have to do something to be a part of the community. Do you remember the community when you were in high school that that wore the, the Jordans? If you were, if you're even close to my age, and you had to have the right kind of Jordan, right? I mean, if you if you were a year behind, you were no longer a part of the community, right? See, this community gets their worth from what they do, and then they belong together. They fit in. All of us want to fit in. Even you here that think you're a misfit, you like being a misfit so you can fit in with the misfits, right? This is how community works. Community works is, is, is earning this identity structure. I mean, I remember all I'd ask for every Christmas was a new pair of Jordans and a starter jacket. And I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but the starter jackets, I mean, if you didn't have one of those, you, you didn't belong. You weren't worth anything. But, but we as grown-ups do these things our own way, don't we? Like, I mean, we've replaced our, our Jordans and our starter jacket or, or, or whatever it is with things like our health or our food. I mean, just open up Facebook. How many pictures of food do you see? It's ridiculous, right? I mean, everybody's showing what they ate. Like, woo, good, you eat healthy, you know? But I mean, I don't do that because I'm not going to take pictures of my cheeseburger from McDonald's, just to be honest with you. <laughs> but I mean, we promote our health, our food, our fitness. We, we, we promote this because this allows us to belong, to be worth to this community. Or what about our appearance? You say, oh, I don't really care about the way I look. Well, what about the way your car looks? What about the way your house looks? What about the way your children look? I mean, 
if you knew me when, my, when I was parenting little kids, like, they wouldn't even be clean if it wasn't for their mama. I mean, they were always dirty, always had food on their face, right? But, but, but we, we try to groom ourselves, groom our kids, groom our families because we want to belong. We want to fit in this club, this community. What about your family? Like, how do you define a family that really makes you belong? What about if you have enough kids or you don't have kids? Or maybe you have kids plus a dog. Or, or, or maybe you have three kids or two kids, whatever it is. Like, this is our structure of identity. But see, the problem with this is that even religion does the same thing. Religion says you have to do something to be worth something to belong. You have to go to church. You have to read your Bible. You have to do good works. You have to believe the right doctrine. But all of this is not the way that God created community. God created community from the total different direction. He says, you belong. You belong. And because you belong, you're worth something to me that I gave my son to give you life. And now you're free to do. Now you're free to go and be God's people. And I see the problem is, is that all the other communities that we search to be a part of, they all depend on what we do. And so you mess this up. You're trying to be in the skinny club and the fit club, and all of a sudden you twist your ankle and you get fat. You no longer belong. <laughs> okay? Like all of a sudden you get into medical debt and you can't afford the car you want anymore. All of a sudden your due crashes, you're worth and you belong. It's all based on what you do. But the gospel informs community so much that this, this right here it, it is wobbling back and forth, but these pillars are always strong. You will never be able to take away your belonging. Like, do you understand that, Christian? There is nothing you can do to unbelong to God. I don't live like that a lot of times. That's the truth. There's nothing you can do to take away your worth. Like, Jesus is not going to go undie for you. He's already died for you. Okay, so your belonging and your worth is secure. But here's the problem where a lot of Christian communities get a little backwards is that they, they sort of forget that there still is an emphasis on what we do. There's still an emphasis on how we live. Now, Paul is speaking very clearly, saying that that do, your good works, does not define you, but you ought to be defined by your good works. The, the difference there is that the gospel does change how you live. It does change how you act. It does change how you behave. And so he's pushing into this over and over and over again. And in Titus 3, verses 4 and beyond, he says what? He says, this community is defined by the gospel and not by your good works. Meaning that he says, not because he saved us, not because of our good works. So this is not why God saved us, because we did the right thing. However, he ends that whole passage there in verse 8 saying, However, I insist that those who believe this gospel, I insist that they be careful to devote themselves to good works. Do you see how all of this works in and amongst our own community? Because often the American church just pretty much says, Well, we're either going to put the, the guideline out for you and the clipboard on how to be a part of this church and do the right thing, and then you belong and then you're, and then you're worth something. Or we're going to say, you know what, how you live, that's between you and God. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says if you believe this, then what you do is insisting you to live differently. We see that the community is also for the glory of God and the purpose of God. We read there in chapter uh, two, that God gave himself to redeem us to be his people. The, the purpose of our salvation was not to go to church. I, I need to say that again because I didn't get an amen or oh me or nothing, right? Jesus didn't die so you would be here on Sunday morning. It, that's, that's a weak gospel. He gave his life to purify you as his people. His people that love the word, that come and gather, his people that go and spread the word, but to be his people. But this good works of our people, it defines us. This, this phrase, good works, is seen over eight times in this short book. You could take these gloves and put them on good works, and you could just dig, and you could find them all through here. 
Now, Paul, again, is not saying this community has to do good works to be worth something to belong. He says, this community, you belong. You're worth something. Now go and do the work. So this is what I want to do in our time left. I want to make three observations about this community, this Christian community, this gospel community, and then I want to make one application, and I'm going to insist on it. Not on my authority of my life, but on the authority of Scripture. I'm going to make an application, and for those of you who call Trademark Home, members or non-members, I'm going to insist on this application. Let's look there in Titus 2. My first observation is this. This community is not about you. This community is not about you. Titus 2, starting in verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. In verse 3 of chapter 2, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are teach what is good and train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home with kindness and submission to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, showing yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works. Do you see how this community is not about you? Like, I think in some, some ways we've created an American church community that really just wants to try to get people plugged in and accepted and, like, spiritually encouraged. And so we do these things to try to get them in, but then once they get in, we go, oh, no, 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 this is not about you. This is about God. This is about the gospel. This is about the mission. And you say, well, where did you get this? It's not about you. Well, he's using all these words about training and teaching and transformation. Those of you who are parents here, you know that the one thing that is unnatural for your child is selflessness. I mean, which parents in this world taught their kids the word no? I haven't seen a parent do it. Those jokers figure it out themselves, right? They learn no, no. No. I mean, put a bunch of kids together up in a room and put out a bunch of toys and see if selfishness or selflessness comes out. See, what Paul is saying here is that the older men and the younger women and, the, and all these people are coming into this community, but they're thinking it's about them. You have to teach them it's not about them. You have to teach them. If you're a Christian, I invite you to be a part of our community, our big community, our smaller communities, but I hope and pray that you will be taught. You'll be taught to denounce yourself and follow Jesus because this community is not about you. It's not about me. You say, well, those seem like pretty strong words, uh, Pastor. Um, well, let me remind you of some pretty strong words of the man we follow, Jesus. He had somebody come to him one time and they said, I want eternal life. I want to be a part of your kingdom. And he said, well, you know what? Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. You go, well, Jesus wouldn't say that to me. Well, I don't know. Have you asked him? I mean, following Jesus is extreme. And following Jesus is not about you. This is Jesus' community. So let us be careful that we stop defining it by us and realize that this community is not about you. It's not about me. But then also, I see in here this community is not about us. Now you go, that, that doesn't make sense because you just said it was not about you, now it's not about us. But what I mean by this, it's not about what we do to get in the community. In chapter 3, he goes off and says, you have been saved by God. So no one in this community, in this Christian community, belongs here because of what we did. It's not about us. Anybody that starts telling you how great they are and how much they deserve this or that, anybody that starts pointing to themselves and saying, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, that's not a part of God's community. But isn't that totally just like in, in complete opposite of the world? Because every community that you're a part of 
in the world, it is about you. It is about us. Do you see that that's one of the problems with the Christian community is that it's so just countercultural that most of us can't figure out how to live in it. This community is not about us. Who is it about? It's about Jesus. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Pretty simple stuff, right? But here in chapter 2, we see that this community is really about God. In chapter 2, we read this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So God is the one that saves us into the community. This grace trains us to renounce ungodliness, um, ungodness stuff, ungodly stuff, things that are not of God. This grace trains us because its community is about God. Worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, waiting for who? Waiting for God, who is going to appear when Jesus comes back and makes all things new. This Jesus, he gave himself to redeem us and to purify for himself a people for God's own possession. We sang earlier, we are the people of God. How many of you did that connect with how you lived last week? If I had to sing what I lived last week, it'd probably be like, I am a person of Josh, doing whatever I want, trying to be at happiness and make all y'all think I'm awesome, right? I mean, I would sing this song, but we didn't. We sang, we are the people of God. We are the people of God, and we said, we are yours, we are yours. We will follow, we will follow. This community, this, this church, if it's not about God, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Because God saved us for himself, to glorify himself. Now, I hear Christians say all the time, like, I just want to glorify God. And sometimes I just want to smack them on their face, right? Because it's like, really? How you, how's that working for you? Now, I won't smack you if you say that, okay? I won't, I won't. I was straight. I put my hands in my pocket, right? But it's like, how, how are you really going to glorify God? And we pray that. God, maybe glorify you. What did Jesus say? He said that when, when they see our good works and they see our light shine, they glorify God. So if there is no good works, if there's no light shining out of you, then they're not going to glorify God. But the other problem I often found is that we as Christians don't even know how to talk about God when people try to glorify us. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, when's the last time you did a good deed, you did a good work, and someone said, thank you for being such a good person. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for loving me. And you were like, no problem. Or you got, you know, I love you. I love you. You're worth it. You're a good person. That's not glorifying God. If someone says, thank you for paying for my meal, what, what should we say? Not in some Christianese cheesy stuff, okay? But we should say, look, God has blessed me, and so I want to be a blessing to you. When, so, when someone says, thank you for, for loving me, we can say, God has loved me, so, so I want to love you. Do, do you see how our works, these things that we do, are supposed to point to God? They're supposed to point to God. And, and some of you Christians just need to learn how to process the gospel into your life so that it actually connects to God. Because you might be a lot of good people running around here, and they're going, that guy's good. I, I, remember, I remember sitting at the, at the bar a few weeks ago, and uh, this, this uh, couple, they, they were talking about our church, and they were talking about um, some people that they had met, and they just said, you guys are a bunch of just good people. And I just started laughing. <laughs> I was like, well, number one, you don't know them, okay? Um, but I'm like, we're, we're, we're not good people. And then, and then the lady pushed in, and she's like, you just don't think enough of yourself. And I said, you know, actually, I understand the gospel, that I'm more wicked and disgusting than I could ever imagine. But through God, I'm more loved and cherished than I could ever dream. And so you're right. At times, I struggle thinking high or low of myself. But really, I am who I am just because God I am who I am because of God, not because of what I do or what these people say. Jesus says, let your light shine so that what? So that you glorify God. Now, this is, this is where I'm going to do my insisting. If you missed those points because you were taking notes and I was distracting you from listening, the gospel shapes a community that's not about you. It's not about us. It's a community that's about God. 
But I want to, as your pastor, one of your pastors, push in and insist on something. And I'm not insisting on it because I have reached this nirvana, this place where I get to do it. I'm insisting the same thing on you that I'm insisting on myself, on my family, on my community. And I'm picking up the words of Paul where he insists, he demands, he instructs good works. Not so that you can be saved. That's not the gospel. But because you have been saved, he insists. In chapter 1, Paul reminded this young church planner to not get caught up in religion, but to be about good works. He says in verse 16 of chapter 1, these people, they who are in your church, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. What would your, your coworker say about you? These Christians who profess to know God, they live like it. They're different. Or they say, these people who profess to know God, they're really good people, but pretty much they live the same life I live. I mean, they don't get drunk drunk. They just get drunk, right? By the way, if you're from the South, if you add the word, the same word twice, it like emphasizes it, okay? So that's, that's different, okay? They say, these people, you know, they're good people. I mean, their marriages are pretty much a mess, and, and they, yeah, I mean, or would they say, no, these people, these Christians... They profess to know God, and they live differently. They live differently. And again, I'm not saying you have to live differently to earn it. Please hear this. But I'm also saying that if you believe this gospel, then what you do matters. It matters. It doesn't qualify you or disqualify you, but it matters because you are God's people. Paul insists on this, but he also says in, verse, in chapter 2, he says to Titus, don't forget that everybody is responsible for this. Everybody is responsible for this. There are no Christians here who sort of get off the hook of good works. Well, Josh, I mean, come on. I got in here a lot of times early, and I set up communion, and I work in the kids once, once a week, and every now and then I open up those emails that those church people send me, you know, and I give. Like, you want me to do more? There is nobody that's exempt from this. He says that you have to remind everyone that they have a responsibility in the church and outside of the church to show good works. And then he says in chapter 3, I want to insist that these people don't move beyond just, that they do move beyond just knowing the gospel and actually living the gospel. There's so many Readings of chapter 3, verses 4 through 8 that stop in verse 7. And they preach this great, glorious gospel, and it's totally disconnected to how you live. They preach this gospel that God saved us, not on the basis of what we do. We belong. He's regenerated us. He saved us by his own mercy. We're worth something. The Spirit is put inside of us. We're heirs for eternal life. And it stops there. But that's not how the gospel stops. Paul says in verse 8 of chapter 3, if you believe these things, then I will insist that those who believe God will be careful to devote themselves to good works. Careful to devote themselves to good works. What does the devotion look like this last week in your life? Have you been devoted to yourself? Have you been devoted to a better version of you? Have you been devoted to God? Have you been devoted to actually growing in grace? Has there been any worldly passions that you pushed aside because the gospel changed you and you want to live in a way that honors God? What does it look like this next week for you to be devoted for good works? Now, if you're offended, don't be offended by me. This is the word of God saying that Christians, those who believe, those who belong in this kind of community, Live differently. As, as we land this plane, I want to pick up on verse 14 of chapter 3. 
And I want to see if we can just make this as, as tangible as possible for you. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help the cause of urgent need and not be unfruitful. If I could invite the elders and the deacons to stand with me today, we would say, we agree on this. We as your pastors and as your teachers and as your leaders are going to say, we want our people to learn, to devote themselves to good works, to actually help urgent needs and to actually not be unfruitful. How would you describe your life last week? Like, would you say, if, if I gave you a little quiz and it was like fruitful or unfruitful? You'd be like, mm, who's going to see this? Right? Or, or like, or what does that mean? What, what does it mean? Does it mean fruitful at work or unfruitful at work? Like, how many of you were just a non-contributing zero to the kingdom of God last week? I mean, just be honest. Like, you, you did nothing except what you wanted to do, and you didn't follow Jesus in anything. It's okay. Let's come to the table. Let's repent. Let's be reminded of the gospel, and let's go out and be someone who contributes to the needs of the saints, someone who contributes to local needs. Do you understand that the way you could describe Jesus is he was one who loved the unloved. He cleaned the dirty. He fixed the broken. If we're Jesus' people, how does that look when we go to the brewery this afternoon or when we go to work tomorrow morning or when we go to school the next three days or four days or whatever? What about our families? Like, is there any connection to us in this gospel? Are our lives fruitful or are they unfruitful? Are they productive or unproductive? And what I mean, again, is not so that you earn God's salvation, but because you have his salvation. Can I say it enough can I bring us enough under the blanket of grace and say, guys, we believe this. Let's go live differently for God's glory so that more people will come to know God so that, so that God will be glorified in the end. This is why we devote ourselves to good works. But also for following Jesus, there ought to be something that looks more like Jesus this week than it did last week. Now, I know a lot of you are with me on this train where you take three steps forward following Jesus and five steps back. And Jesus picks you up and gives you a hug. And he doesn't say, you can do better next time. You can do it. He says, I love you. I love you. I'm in this with you. Let's go. Join me in the mission. Join me in the mission. Let's do it. So what, what urgent need do you know that you can meet today or this week? You go, well, urgent. How do you define urgent, pastor? I don't care. Define it however you want to. Do you know of a need is there a need in your family? Is there a need in your gospel community, in your house to house, in this church? Do you, do you have friends that have a need? Like what, what's a need? Some of you met a very urgent need last week or two weeks ago when my wife had foot surgery. You brought us food. And now I can cook, but I'll tell you that need was very urgent. Me and the boys needed some food, right? Some good food, something beyond McDonald's and, and what are the three meals I can make. Some of you showed good deeds as you came and just fed the hungry, the urgent need. Maybe some of you need to give money to a homeless person this week, not caring if they waste it. When's the last time God gave you grace and you wasted it? What does it look like to just meet an urgent need? The gospel says, do it. Do it. Stop talking about it. Do it. I insist, do it because you've been given grace. You're worth something. Live that way. What does it look like to devote yourselves to doing good this week? You know, devotion is really hard, right? We know that in our community, we are devoted pretty much to whatever makes us happy. And when that changes, if all of a sudden Facebook doesn't make us happy anymore, then we're an, we're an Instagram person, you know? And then pretty soon, Instagram's going to go away, and we're going to be whatever that next thing is. You know, or like when our cell phone plan starts to cost too much, we're not devoted to Verizon, whatever. We're devoted to our own happiness, right? Or when this church actually rubs us the wrong way or the pastor says something that we're offended by or, or heaven forbid, there's not enough people in the children's ministry one day. We're going to be like, I got to find me a real church. We're not devoted. We're not devoted people. But the gospel trains us to be devoted to good works. What does that look like for you to be devoted this week? Do it. What does it look like for you to live a productive life this week? A productive life for the gospel. 
The Spirit is the one that empowers you and enlightens you and shows you. So maybe if you don't even know the answer to those questions, ask the Spirit. Spirit, you've been given to me not for my own comfort and joy and happiness and personal Christian awesomeness. You've been given to me for the mission of God. So show me this week. Show me this week. What about, what about something as simple as needs and names? I, I, I use these two, two words all the time to help communities understand where to push into the mission. What are the needs of people around you, and what are their names? Chances are, if you don't know any names, you're not going to know any needs. And maybe you should just start with your own community. Like, believe me, there's enough needs and names up in here. We could start right here, being devoted to good works. What are the needs and names in your community, at your workplace? What are those needs and names? Those are places where the good works of the gospel need to be infused this week. I challenge you, if you feel like I'm pushing in a little bit too hard on you, I challenge you to read the gospels this week, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at how much Jesus was defined by his good works. That's the only reason why they believed him. Because he loved the unlovable, he cleaned the dirty, he fixed the broken. He showed them through the Spirit of God the gospel in action. But you know what? The early church was also known by their good works. That's how deacons even happened. I don't know if you know that. But they're, they're preaching the gospel in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, and they're preaching, and, and these people come up to them and they go, hey, we aren't, feeding the, we aren't feeding the widows like we used to. And they didn't say, well, I mean, that's important, but that's secondary. Go to church, and then if the windows get fed, they get fed, okay? They didn't say that. They said, okay, which one of you can come up and help us? Who can serve us? Who can, who can put into action this real feeding those in need, these urgent needs? And that's where the deacons came from, of helping the elders and the pastors do the work of the church. But I wonder what the American church is known for. Jesus was known for his works. The early church was known for his works, but the American church, we're known for a lot more like our associations, aren't we? Like how many of you came here because you searched Acts 29 Boise, and so you just came here, right? We only have one person that's actually telling the truth, because a lot of people did, okay? Okay. How many of you came in and were looking for a certain kind of preaching, a certain kind of worship, a certain kind of gospel communities, a certain kind of children's ministry. Now, I'm not saying that all those things are bad, but all those things are secondary to are we preaching the gospel and are we doing good works? That's what we should be known for. And, and I pray that that day when you leave this church and you go find another church or you move to another city, I pray that you would walk in and you'd be like, what's going on here that actually has anything to do with the gospel? These people preach the gospel? Did they live the gospel or not? Did, did that sermon today give me some kind of Christian buzz? That's going to wear off, guys. It's going to wear off. What does it look like for us to be a people committed and devoted to good works? Because that's why Jesus died. And I'm not, I'm not belittling anything that we do here on Sunday morning. I think we should have the best worship and the best children's ministry and the best coffee. And the be I mean, all those things, I, I, I think we should have those things. But if that's how you measure the success of a church, read your Bible. Jesus didn't die so that we would have the best coffee, okay? He died so that we'd be his people. Did you see that? He wanted to purify us from lawlessness to be his people, to be about good works for his possession, his people here on earth. So when we go to communion, I, I want to insist that you take this seriously. What, what do you need to do today as you come to the table? Do you just need to repent? God knows how much you suck, okay? Don't hide it from himself or hide it from you. Do you just need to repent because you've been a non-contributing zero to the kingdom of God this whole summer and been just, just consuming? Do you need to repent because you've been trying to turn this church into your happy place instead of people that are zealous for good works? Do you need to repent because you've totally just forsaken good works at your home and you don't even, you're not even living like loving your family? What do you need to repent of as you come to communion? Or maybe you need to actually just go, God, I, 
here's my problem. This is how I'm living my life. I'm living my life like I have to earn my salvation. And so actually what I need to do is I just need to come and, and put the blanket of grace on me and just go, I'm here. I'm at this table. I'm invited into the community of God because Jesus forgave me. Because Jesus gave his life, I come to the table forgiven. Not trying to earn it, but forgiven. Because Jesus gave his life to redeem me, I come to the table not trying to earn my awesomeness, but receiving his righteousness. I come to this table to to show that I belong with the community of God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. I belong here because I've been invited here, but we need to take this seriously. Because if you're just going to take communion this week and then go take a week, week off for Labor Day and then come back and take it again, don't do it. I insist. I'm coming to this table with you, declaring my need for the gospel, asking God to show me the needs and the names, the, the good works, the things around me that I can devote myself to this week. I'm going to pray a prayer over us it's a prayer that we've prayed many times here at Trademark. It's an ancient prayer, and I'm going to pray it twice, the first time so you can hear it, and hopefully the second time so you can pray it with me. If you're not a believer here today, if you're someone that's come here with a friend or you've been invited and you're searching for faith and you want to take communion to celebrate, let's do that. But, 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 but could, could we leave this table for those who are coming because they realize that they are more wicked and disgusting than they could ever imagine, but more loved and cherished than they could ever dream? As we pray this prayer, believers, May we confess together our sin and our need for the gospel. So would you bow your heads as we pray this prayer? I'm going to pray it twice. The first time so that you can hear it, and the second time maybe so you can pray it with me in your mind. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and in word and in deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways as people devoted to good works, to the glory and the praise of your name. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and in word and in deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways as people devoted to good works, to the glory and the praise of your name. Amen. We want to thank you for listening to the podcast of Trademark Church. For more information, visit our website, trademarkchurch.com. God bless.